0: Hi again everybody, I'm Dan Horde and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth podcast, the When I'm 64 edition, as I visit with retiring sports columnist Paul Docherty from the Cincinnati Inquirer. Coming up, we'll discuss his relationships with Paul Brown and Mike Brown, find out what he learned while collaborating on a book with Chad Johnson, and discuss Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow, and much more. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free to play next level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing. Wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Last Call Trivia. My wife Peg and I, along with our good friends Dave and Nikki, love to go out once a week to trivia nights at bars. And there's a company called Last Call Trivia that's got the concept down to a science. A host runs the show. You enter your answers on your phone, and the contest is designed to last for two hours with prizes going to the top three teams. The only expense is whatever you eat and drink. The company runs trivia games in a wide variety of cities, so if you're interested in trying it sometime, just go to LastCallTrivia.com. And if you wind up playing in Cincinnati and run into a team named the Utopians, well, you've been warned. Before I get to my guest, here's an invitation to grab your yoga mat and join Who Day on Saturday, June 25th at 9 a.m. for Namaste Yoga on the field at Paul Brown Stadium. Register now at banglescom slash yoga. It's presented by Cottonelle in partnership with Kroger and Title Babe, period bank. I moved to Cincinnati in 1996, so for 26 years now, I have been reading the work of Cincinnati Inquirer sports columnist, Paul Doherty. Like any great columnist, Paul is provocative and opinionated, and I frequently don't agree with him. But I'm always interested in what he has to say, and I marvel at his ability to write. This week, we talked about his career and his more than three decades of covering the Bengals. Doc, let's start with your news. You are retiring at the end of the month.
1: You still have your fastball. Why and why now? That's a heck of a question, one that I never really had a satisfactory answer for. I, I will be 64 and a half, Dan. Uh, within the past three, four years, both of my parents have passed, which got me to thinking that I, 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 I'm still healthy and I still have some time and I still have things undone that don't involve the daily grind of, of, uh, inflicting my opinion on people. (laughs) So it, it just seemed like, it seemed like the right time is all I can tell you. And I'm sure that's what, what everybody says, but it just, uh, It feels right. I appreciate that you say I I still have my fastball. Sometimes I wonder. uh, and I didn't used to wonder. uh, And and I I always wanted to be able to to uh, call my own shot and I'm going to be able to do that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And the end of June, you've written books,
0: including one with Chad Johnson several years ago. (laughs) Will you write more books?
1: That's somewhat up to me and, and somewhat up to, to my agent. Um, uh, yes, is is the short answer. Um, as everybody who writes for a living, I, I, I plan on writing the great American novel. Uh, I'm not sure when and I'm not sure about what, but I, I just I, I just know I'm going to get that done, uh, you know, in my spare time. Um, but if anybody needs a book written, g- give me a shout. I, I will definitely <laughs> ponder it. We just finished. Uh, A book on Nate Ebner. People might not know who Nate Ebner is, but Nate Ebner is a a guy from Springfield, Ohio, who who has three Super Bowl rings and played for the U.S. in the 2016 Olympics as a member of the rugby team. Um, Fantastic story. A guy who rose from, from nothing, walked on at Ohio State, having not played high school football Ended up being a valued member of special teams, so valued that he got drafted, higher than Tom Brady, by the way, (laughs) a year year later, but higher, Um, and and, uh, his first love was rugby, had to ditch rugby to go to Ohio State to play football, Uh, came back to rugby six years after he, uh, or after six years of not playing the sport, made the U.S. Olympic team in 2016, his father was a, a, a junkyard proprietor in Springfield. And one of, the, one of the craziest people I've ever had the pleasure of writing about, his father was murdered in the junkyard hmm. uh, by one of his uh, supposed customers who, who thought that his father had done him wrong. And when that was when Nate was 19. And the book is more about the relationship that Nate had with his dad than about sports, although a big chunk of it is sports, given that he played for the Buckeyes and, and Bill Belichick and, and was an Olympian. So anyway, that's a long, long answer to a short question, Dan. That's the last book. The, the, the next book is, uh, is yet to be, but I'm looking forward to it. What was the most interesting thing you learned about Belichick
0: from collaborating with Nate?
1: Well, probably nothing that nobody else, uh, people don't already know about Bill Belichick. Nate, Nate was pretty protective of Bill. Uh, Bill was totally supportive of, of Nate's Olympic effort. Um, the U.S. first game in, in uh, first match in the in 16 Olympics, they, they broadcast on the big screen at uh, Gillette Stadium during practice so his teammates could see Nate play. Hmm. Um, Bill, Bill, would, uh, a great student of American history, especially uh, uh, war type history and, and would quiz his players on various aspects of, uh, you know, if, if it were, if they were in OTAs on, on June 6th, Bill would demand that they know the importance of June 6, 1944, which was of course the D-Day landings. Um, so yeah. And, and, but, but, but uh, by the same token, Bill kept his distance with everyone. He had no favorites. Uh, he saved his harshest criticism for Tom Brady uh, essentially to show the rest of the team that, you know, even this guy can be ripped and I'm going to rip him. Um, kept his distance from, from everybody. And I'm not sure any player on the team uh, really knew Bill Belichick. And I, I got the impression from Nate that that's exactly how Bill wanted it. All right, this is a Bengals podcast, so let's get to some Bengals topics. You started
0: covering the Bengals in '88, just in time for Super Bowl '23, a team that included Boomer Esiason, Chris Collinsworth, Anthony Munoz, Solomon Wilcots, and several other players who are Icky famously Woods. don't forget Icky Icky Woods and yeah. others, yeah. famously talkative, famously colorful. Was that team a sports writer's
1: dream? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I have very fond memories of, of Spinney Field, which sounds crazy if anybody knows anything about Spinney Field. <laughs> I used to say that Spinney Field was where the CIA would interrogate spies on weekends. But um, Boomer and, and the entire offensive line occupied a corner of the Spinney Field locker room way, way, way far in the back. And we they would let the media in at lunchtime and, and those guys would always be there. And if if you wanted your ego taken down, you paid a visit to the boys in the in the back corner of the locker room because they'd be sure to do it and rip you for everything from what you dressed like to what you wrote uh, that that kind of thing. And also gave you great stories. Those guys were great. Um, the the icky story was great. Uh, obviously, everybody knew that Paul Brown did the shuffle at the Super Bowl. Um, and and there they were good, just good people. Not only. Uh, good players and fun to be around, but, but good guys. I mean, I mean, Anthony Munoz was, was, was on that team, obviously. Uh, Boomer, Boomer himself was, uh, as chatty as, as they came back then. It was a lot of fun, Dan. And, and like every rookie I, I thought, Hey, we're going to do this every year. This is a young team. In fact, age wise, it resembled last year's Bengals team in terms of the ages of the players. Um, yeah, we're going to do this a lot. And, and as we know, we didn't do it a lot. Is that a cautionary tale for how we feel about the current team? Um, it is for me. Um, and I, I've been accused once or twice over the years of being Debbie Downer. You might not know that, Dan, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, it's very, very hard to, to repeat, to get back to the Super Bowl the next year. So much is working against you. This team is better on paper than last year's team was at this time. Um, but last year had a certain magic to it that I, I don't know if they can duplicate. I hope they can. Uh, schedule's a lot harder. I mean, I was looking at it this morning. They play at Dallas, at New Orleans, at Tennessee, at Tampa Bay, at New England. My goodness. And and they've got the the Bills at home and Kansas City at home. So, We'll see. They stayed relatively injury-free last year. They stayed COVID-free. Um, I, don't, I don't know if, if any team could repeat that or the, have that kind of chemistry, or Zach loves to call it, the culture. You know, the the culture, and I, I kind of poo-pooed that for a few years, and I was wrong. Sure. Zach was right. The culture was important. The culture mattered. The culture helped them tremendously last year. Do they have the same culture this year? I don't know. So... Again, long answer, short question. We shall see.
0: Paul Dougherty is our
1: guest. What do you remember about meeting Paul Brown? Uh, um, uh, the first time I met Paul Brown was in, in April of 1988. Or was it 89? 88. Uh, he gave me a tour of Spinney Field. And I understand, Dan, that before that, my job from my previous Two stops along the road in Dallas and, and um, in New York was covering college football, national college football. And as such, I, I made frequent visits to places like Oklahoma and Texas and UCLA and Ohio State, where the players, like in high school, I used to say that the, the, the players' cars were nicer than the teachers. Well, the players' car or the students' cars were nicer than the teachers. The players' cars in college were nicer than the assistant coaches and the weight rooms were were massive because the whole idea was to impress recruits with all this stuff. Right. So with that in mind, I, I'm, I'm in Cincinnati and Paul Brown takes me into Spiny field and they had indoor outdoor carpeting on the floor. It was invariably kind of wet uh, for some reason uh, they, they had those wire mesh lockers like you had in high school. So if you threw, dirty socks in there that smelled, at least they could air out a little bit. And they had one 20 inch color television bolted to the back wall. And and PB could not get over the fact that they had a television in the locker room. He said, I've never known a football, a a television to help a team win a football game. And I'm thinking with my background, man, what, what, what have I gotten myself into here? Um, That said, I, I've been told that 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 PB gave me his last interview. I don't recall that. I don't remember what we talked about. Uh, but he was always great to me, same as Mike has always been great to me. Um, and I, I wish that I had gotten there a little earlier, you know, before he passed and, and been able to appreciate him more and, and learn more from him than I did.
0: You once referred to Mike as charming – in an exasperating sort of way (laughs) explain why
1: um uh, yeah that still holds true i mean mike is mike is mike mike will never change and that's one of one of the many things that i like about mike um yeah uh he never at least i don't think i haven't asked him and i plan to in the next couple of weeks he never took personally the criticism and man, I I leveled Mike over and over and over again. Never not took my never did not take my call. Never said no to an interview. When we had the interviews, he was he was pleasant, um, but on the other hand, intractable for many years. Mike was Mike, and, and Mike was going to do it his way. And if you didn't like that, well, he didn't really care.
0: If he never took exception to something that you wrote, was there a flip side to the coin? Did he ever pay you a compliment for something you wrote?
1: Yes, yes. Um, I I wrote a book about, a memoir about raising my daughter, Jillian, who has Down syndrome. Um, Mike read the book, unbeknownst to me. I didn't send him a copy or anything. And I got, as is is Mike's style, I got a a two-page handwritten letter back from Mike, um, essentially saying it was a wonderful book and that he learned a lot about, um, well, obviously my family, but about raising a child with a disability and, and how much he liked the book. And I, I still have that letter. In fact, for many, many years, I had it under the glass on my my uh, desk in my office here at home, and I I'd glance at it occasionally. It was a remarkable thing for him to do. What's the nastiest confrontation you ever
0: had with a player or coach?
1: I don't, I don't know. There aren't, there aren't many of those. Um, uh, Carl Pickens was a strange guy. I don't know if I had a nasty relationship with Carl, but he was just different. You know, I, I, one year he gave me a a really great interview right before the season. And and I wrote a, a pretty, complimentary column about him, not necessarily about football, but just about him. Um, and the next day after we had a, probably a half an hour interview where he was very cordial and gracious. The next day he acted as if he didn't even know who I was. You know, Hey, Carl, how's it going? <laughs> Walked right past me. I had um, Lewis Billups, the, the, the old, the old cornerback who was now deceased who, who, Actually gave the gave up the touchdown to John Taylor in, in the Super Bowl in, in 89, threatened to kill me, and I believed him. Hmm. He said, if you ever write another word about me, I will kill you. And I never wrote another word about. <laughs> him. Uh, I, Mike Brim, another corner who was also deceased, um, got in my face once about I, I'd written a, a tongue-in-cheek, I thought funny he did not, about how the Bengals were had a great win over by. Last week, they overcame all the odds and managed to beat by. <laughs> and Mike took exception to that and made an example of me in, in, the, in the locker room in Pittsburgh one time. Um, other than that, I, I, man, athletes in general, man, I just think if, 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 if you write honestly about them and try to talk to them and show up after you write it, it most, of, most of them over the years have been okay. Football, baseball, whoever.
0: How would you describe your relationship with Sam Weich? Hmm.
1: Um, For the longest time, I could could honestly say that Sam Weich was one of the few people in the world that I didn't like. Hmm. Um, When Sam was coaching here, he tried to coach the world instead of the football team. And I made note of that on several occasions. And we got into it once after, after a game in a press conference he said, you can't keep your mouth shut. And I shot back. Neither can you. And it went downhill from there. I, uh, In later years, as I did stuff about those teams, and I'm not sure why I did it, what the context was, but I had an occasion to, to, to call Sam two or three times, maybe in, in the 10 years or so before his death. And we, 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 we made amends and, and he was great. And he had some great stories, Um and he he was another guy that was that, that was cut from different cloth. He was a lot more social than Carl Pickens was, but <laughs> they both had their their quirks. Um, i didn't I didn't like the fact that that he made an example of, of Lisa Olson, the reporter in the Bengals locker room when they had that big controversy way back when. Uh, is it, or before that, Sam had been okay with any female in the locker room. Just about any time there was a woman named Melanie Hauser who wrote for the Houston post way back in the day. And every time the Bengals would play the Oilers, Melanie would come up to Cincinnati for the week before the game and write stories. And Sam couldn't have been nicer to her and made sure she got in the locker room and was taken care of. And, and all of a sudden he was anti Lisa Olson. But anyway, nobody cares about that. Sam's a good man. Um, like i said his, his reach occasionally exceeded his grasp uh and i disagree with that and we had some run-ins but at the end we we made peace and i'm i'm glad about that the 90s were rough you <clears throat> coined the expression the lost
0: decade then marvin lewis arrived in 2003 and turned things around pretty quickly what's marvin's legacy
1: uh marvin's legacy is a of a Sisyphus who actually wins who gets that damn boulder up the hill before it rolls back down on him I I hope and I think that that people appreciate and respect the job that that Marvin did here because without Marvin there would be no Zach Taylor Marvin was able to get some things done here that nobody before him had gotten done uh, he was able to convince Mike that you know, hey, I actually know what I'm doing here. Please, you know, work with me and let's not butt heads. Mike, to his credit, for whatever reason, was okay with that. I mean, Mike still called most of the shots, but Marvin got some concessions. He got enough that that he was able to turn this thing around. I, I, I give Marvin all the credit in the world. He 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 moved mountains here. He changing. I mean, talking about changing a culture. Uh Marvin, Marvin changed the culture and it, it, it lagged at the end, I, uh, I think, with Marvin's interest in the gig. Um, but his legacy should be that this is the guy that, that made everything else after it possible.
0: Paul Dougherty is our guest. I mentioned earlier that you collaborated with Chad Johnson on a book following the 2005 season. What'd you learn from going back to his childhood haunts and getting to know members of his inner circle?
1: I learned that it had to be incredibly difficult for Chad to make his way in the world as a kid, not knowing who his father was, and having his mother essentially leave him at her mother's doorstep, his grandmother, because she couldn't deal with him. And Chad, I think, I don't remember Dan, I I think Chad was five. I mean, imagine that you've never known your father uh, and, and your mom decides I'm moving to Los Angeles, Chad, but I'm not taking you. I, I think that impacted every aspect of Chad's personality. Um, Chad had a, a, a deep desire to be loved, not just by by people close to him, by the world. Uh, I'm, I'm playing Freud here and I don't even have a degree in psychology, but I, I, this was a no brainer. I thought um, all of what Chad did, all the things that made Chad, Chad were a result of, of his mom dropping him off at grandma's and never coming back.
0: Well, if his objective in
1: life was to be loved, he achieved it. I think so. I, I, um, I tired of Chad's antics. I got bored with him more than anything else because it was the same stuff over and over again. Um, but I why he did it. And, and uh, yeah, I, I think he's a fairly beloved figure around here. And, and certainly if not the best, one of the best receivers they've ever had. And that says a lot, the Bengals have had a lot of good receivers.
0: There are a lot of what ifs in Bengals history, Greg Cook's injury, Kim Crumrise injury, Jeremy Hill's fumble, the list goes on and on. What if Kimo Von Allhoffen never made contact with Carson Palmer's left knee?
1: <laughs> uh, I, I think they definitely win that game. And after that, it's the playoffs. Who knows? I, I, I My crystal ball's been in the shop for 30 years, and <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. But, but you're right. I, that was a game they were going to win. I, that team had the confidence that this past year's team had the fact that it was Pittsburgh didn't, didn't phase them. You know, that team would never have lost in 2015 to the Steelers, the way that team did same as the, this pre this past year's Bengals team. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the last pass Carson threw was that bomb to Chris Henry, right? Correct. I mean, that was, how many plays in, into the Bengals' offense, uh, their, their game that day? I don't know, two, three? Yeah, I, I think they had the confidence. They knew they were going to win, and they would have that day had, had Carson not been hurt.
0: Are you sympathetic to Carson Palmer and his legacy with the Bengals?
1: Yeah, yes and no. Yeah, I am because he got over on Mike, and I anybody that can do that, I don't know if sympathy is the right word, um, admiration. Uh, And he had a point, and and everybody took it well. It was well taken by everybody except probably Mike. Um, On the other hand, enough already. I I don't need to hear Carson anymore talking about how bad the Bengals were back then. Um, I mean, they they weren't, and and the team did things that Carson wanted. They got him wide receivers, they had a good offensive line, you know. I don't know what, I understood Carson's beef at the time, but at some point you just got to let it go. Where is Andrew Whitworth on your Mount Rushmore of athletes that you've enjoyed talking to over the years? Oh, top 10, five, three. I don't know. He was just a, a rock. I mean, it was the same way with the media that he, that he was as a player. Dependable, honest, solid you know, spokesman, senior, senior, I don't want to say senior citizen, but you know what I mean? Uh, elder statesman, right? I, I loved Andrew Whitworth. I don't know anybody who didn't. Um, and, and letting him go was one of the bigger mistakes this franchise has made in the last 20 years.
0: Did you feel that way at the time? Or yes. is it the hindsight of the draft picks that that failed?
1: No, I, 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 I was pretty sure they, they, they would do, do what they did. Um, it's, a, it's always a business with, with the Brown family. Never forget that. It's a business with most everybody, but especially for them because it is their business. Um, no, I, I, I thought it was a bad decision because even if he was not vintage Andrew Whitworth, he was a huge part of that team of the character, of, of the uh, culture uh, of of that team. And to let him go like that was going to have an impact, no matter who they drafted. And as it turned out, as we know, the, the, the picks to replace him weren't exactly Sterling. Paul Doherty is our
0: guest. Let's get to the current Bengals. Have your feelings about Zach Taylor done a total 180 over the course of three years?
1: Yes. Yes, I, I, and I'm not, I'm not embarrassed or whatever to admit it. Believe it or not, I make a mistake every once in a while. <laughs> my dad had a poster in his office that I never made a mistake in my life. I thought I did once, but I was wrong. <laughs> um, that's kind of how I was with Zach. Uh, Zach came in without big credentials, Dan. You know that. He, he was not some hot shot NFL coordinator when the Bengals hired him when he was coordinating the offense at UC the offense at UC wasn't very good and I thought he was in over his head Uh, to his everlasting credit he he proved me wrong Uh, and 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 yeah yeah I, I could not have been more wrong about Zach Taylor than I than I was he when when he talked about culture in his first year and he, and into his second year, I, I, I thought it was a, a cop-out. I, I thought, I, I understand the importance of culture, but it's sort of a nebulous thing. If you have it, you have it. If you don't, you don't. It, it disappears as quickly as it appears, and you never can really pinpoint why. I mean, you can say this guy left and that guy left, and they were a big part of what we did. But okay, I, I, I don't know. Um, hard to define you know him using that fact that you know we're not playing well right now because i'm building a culture buying himself time with with sort of a eh, excuse in my book but like i said he was right uh he he got the guys in there that he wanted to get in there everybody meshed uh you obviously you know all this stuff um everybody was cool with everybody else they pulled for one another they cared about one one another all the sports cliches and it mattered so bravo to zach
0: it certainly helps to have joe burrow of course you refer to him as saint joe yeah aside from his play on the field what has he done for this franchise
1: um legitimized it made it made it cool to be a Bengal. i've written that a few times that that still makes me laugh having been here as long as i have anybody had told me 20 years ago that It'd be cool to be a Bengal. Uh, I said, yeah, I'm the fifth Beatle. Yeah. And uh, he he is not only not only has his play elevated everything they do, but but his. uh, Rock solid belief in what Zach is doing is bringing others along, including all these offensive linemen, right? I mean, did, did he rent space at the precinct to, to get all those guys there? I, I don't know, <laughs> or his house at least got them to his house and, and preached the good word of, of, of the Reverend Zach. And that uh, obviously the results speak for themselves. They, they, they retooled the offensive line this offseason. without, it didn't even seem like they were trying that hard to do it, not to discredit the effort. Obviously it took a lot of effort, but those guys, Signed so quickly and so easily, it, it, you know, okay. All, all It seemed like all they were waiting for was, was somebody to ask them to play for the Bengals. And, again, if you if you were around in the dark days in the lost decade of the 90s, <laughs> saying something like that would, would have you committed. So, yeah, he, he, he is the center of everything.
0: As a sports fan, it's great when your team is – Great, goes to the Super Bowl, plays in the World Series, whatever. But I've made the statement that I don't think there's anything better as a sports fan than when it's completely unexpected, like it was last year for the Bengals. Was that one of the more magical things that that you've seen?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's up there with um, maybe the, the 90 Reds wire to wire. Uh, we uh, Back then, we thought they had a decent team, and, and we, we thought that Lou Pinello would be a good manager. Nobody knew that they'd go wire to wire and, and sweep a heavily favored A's team in the World Series. Um, it's, it's like first love, right, Dan? It's, it's, you get caught up. It's new. It's different. You get caught up in, in the magic, the romance of it all. And last year certainly was, was magical and, and romantic, no doubt. It's probably yeah, if I had to rate them, that would be number, be number one. what do they go from 411 and one to the Super Bowl? Come on. <laughs> do you
0: have a love-hate relationship with football?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. I, uh, it, it may be the, 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 the best entertainment we have, and I'm not just talking sports. I'm talking everything. Movies, television, whatever, the melodrama, the real drama, uh, not much on TV beats the NFL, unless it's, you know, Breaking Bad or The Wire, right? Um, I, I watch, I, I watch a lot of it. I don't think it's as good as it used to be for a few reasons, but uh, it, it's still the best. I, I don't like the NFL's hypocrisy. I don't like the way... The NFL dealt with Colin Kaepernick. Um, I don't like the way, in my opinion, the NFL seems to care about things only when it feels that if it didn't care, it would lose money. Um, The whole image thing gets me a little bit, but there is no denying that as an entertainment product, it's, it's the best thing going.
0: Got a couple minutes left before I have to wrap this up. You've had opportunities to leave over the years for various media outlets. Why did you stay?
1: That's a great question. Uh, and this is going to sound hokey and corny and w- whatever. And I'm not saying it because I need to make friends because it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> um, I stayed. We stayed for primarily family reasons. I had a chance. had two chances to, to go to the L.A. Times in the early nineties. And I spent a lot of time out there with a real estate agent driving me all over orange County. Um, I didn't want to raise my kids in Los Angeles. I had no desire to, to, to have them go to school out there. And that's going to sound crazy because people think I'm some flaming liberal, which I am not. And we could, that's a whole nother, uh, podcast Dan, but I didn't, I didn't want to raise them in, in Los Angeles. Um, I hate traffic I didn't want to get stuck in traffic my whole freaking life i I, I called Bob Verdi who was a respected older columnist at the Chicago Tribune years ago and I asked him should I take this job and he said let me ask you something and I he, I said okay he said are you happy where you are yeah are, are you making reasonable money yeah do you get to cover? Almost everything that that the quote unquote big guys in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago cover. I said, "Yeah." He said, "Do they treat you well?" Yeah, most of the time. And he said, "What's your problem?" Hmm. And I, and it, you know, that's when it hit me, along with the family stuff. That um, the only thing that I that would have made me want to move to Los Angeles to work for the Times was ego. Was to say, "Hey, I work for the LA Times. You don't." Uh, and that it didn't mean that much to me. Uh, and so we decided to stay. And, and and what I thought back in my youth would be a three to five year deal here when I signed on in 88. I'm still here. They can't get rid of me. And now <laughs> I get to walk away on my own of my own volition. So I guess it worked out.
0: You sound a little like our mutual friend, Marty Brenneman.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think, yeah, Marty felt the same way. And and he took far less money to hang around with the Reds than he could have gotten had he gone to Boston, for example. They wanted to hire him. I think Chicago, the Cubs at some point had a flirtation with Marty. But, uh, yeah, pretty much the same.
0: Doc, this has been fun. Thank you for making me laugh. Thank you for <laughs> making me think over the years. Uh, I think you know what I, I, I think of your work. And we are uh, definitely going to miss you on a daily basis uh, online and on a regular basis in the Enquirer.
1: Well, thank you, Dan. I, I think you're the best. I've told you so, and I've written that as well. So I'm, I'm glad you're not leaving either. That's
0: going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horn, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.